for for me and my old gamer age um, of you know thirty five. Yeah, you're basically dead at this point. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 335 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm just standing here. I'm Sam, and I thought I had a sneeze, but then I didn't, which was a not relief yet. in uh, and of itself. It's going to appear mm-hmm. again. Better not. It'll be back. It'll be back. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is October 28th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. And uh, before we get into the show... Profanity warning. It's going to be profanity. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net for uh, donating to the podcast. Uh, how's that sneeze? Is it it's back yet? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing great. Are you going to Are you going to blast out an old man sneeze at some point in the middle I'm of the- I'm kind of hoping so. That's one of my favorite ones. The surprise. Screaming a chew that you some just, people yeah, do. You just suddenly scream. The yeah, scream a bat. You know, because some people do like full on just yell while they're sneezing, which I've always found like a hilarious sort of. Is it a confidence thing? Is it is it is it like if you're more of a self conscious, introverted kind of person, you try to keep your sneezes in because you don't want to draw attention to Mm -hmm. yourself. But if you're either you don't give a fuck, that's one option. Or if you're if or if you're you know if you're looking to have people kind of notice you, you know, either basically if you give. Too many fucks. <laughs> Either way, you can let out a sneeze blast of biblical proportions and, you know, you're good to go. I think it's I mean, funny that the, the bell curve of, of how that works is like people who don't want attention also who want attention operate the same way, which is very confusing. You know? well, well, it's, it's people, it's people who too. don't care about it, about whether they have attention or not. Right. Well, I think there's also another yeah. category, which is. You can't not get attention when there's a sneeze, right? So, like, you can try to suppress it as much as you can, but you can't hide it, right? So, a sneeze is your one, it's your one time where no matter how it happens and how it, how you do it and what it sounds like, everyone's just like, at most they'll be like, well, that was a little startling and I didn't like it, right? But they're not, it's fine. Though. Like, you couldn't help it. It was a sneeze, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it's your one time where you just have full control. I mean, not of the sneeze, obviously, but of how, like, just how... <laughs> Into it, you want to go, you know, because you can, mm-hmm. you basically, you're kind of catching the loop where you catch, you're like, oh, this is just happening now. Nobody can stop this. I can't I'm stop in this. this. You're Nobody allowed can blame to take me. center stage, you know? Yeah. Go. This is your moment. <laughs> and we don't normally get to just like yell, you know? Oh, yeah. That's, that's true. true. And so, especially in public, right? Like really loud. So, yeah. So it's your one time where you can do it and, and there's no, there's no like, you haven't That's hurt anybody. True. Nobody thinks you're yelling at them. Because, of course, yelling at other people is a thing you should not do ever. But, like, just yelling. It's kind of like profanity. You don't cuss at people. But just mm-hmm. saying it while you're talking. That's true. It's Let, fine. Letting out a primal scream at least once a week is just good yeah. for the soul. You know? yep. and but you, you can't it. just do that. It's against the rules. But if you're you got to hide it in a sneeze. Yeah. Yeah, there's very few bodily loud noises that are okay to do in public. Yep, screams, farts, belches. Don't do those. But sneezes, mm-hmm. you gotta capitalize on that mm-hmm. thing. You gotta, you gotta really lean into it. That is that what that uh, Sheryl Sandberg. Sure what I never read about. that book, but it's so, probably yeah. about sneezing. Uh, let's talk about uh, video games, specifically Left for Dead. I mean, Back for Blood, <laughs> the, new, the new innovative zombie game. For the by company. the developers mm-hmm. of Left 4 Dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes, you'd be forgiven uh, for thinking it's the same thing. Because um, it basically is, I guess, is the short version. Yeah. But it's so basically Adam and I took, took a tour. We went and did the, uh, the first quarter, first, I think, of the oh, first act. Yeah, they have There's, acts, which are consist of a bunch of like distinct uh, levels that end, you know, that you go into the next part. But they're also kind of clustered without, like they have a little map, you know, where it's like dot, 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 with little lines in between. And there's a gap, another collection. And then collectively those make up an act. But I don't understand what you call the things or like what the little group, what the, the group, group for, is. For, yeah. for, before we get into detail, for our audience who's less familiar with the concept, what is this game? Good idea. Know? Good good point, Seth. So uh, yeah, Back for Blood is, is a zombie shooter team-based survival experience. 
Okay. I think mm. if you call it an experience, you don't have to pay uh, any platform fees. Yeah, you don't have to pay anywhere. that 30% Apple, so, Apple tax. Oh, yeah. I'll go ahead yeah. and try, try to get them, help them out. So yeah, it's really, it's yeah. just part of the multiverse, you know? Is that it not is. Multiverse? Totally. It's not a game. Not at all. What are they calling uh, us the multiverse? Is it? What are they calling this thing? That's what they're going for. Metaverse. The meta- metaverse. That's what metaverse? I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Left 4 Dead is the sort of prequel to this game, which came out, uh, geez, I don't know, a decade ago at this point. And maybe Left 4 Dead Probably, 2. Yeah, also 2009 or something. Yeah. And so there were, there were two games in that in that series that uh, both very fun. And essentially it's these four-player co-op survival shooter games where you're operating as a team, trying to make your way through to safe houses and sort of escape a you know apocalyptic zombie scenario. The thing that was different about them is that it basically is the sort of game that absolutely punishes someone being Rambo, right? Because usually you have someone who's like too cool and they're like, I'm going to go run by myself and this just sends zombies to literally just incapacitate you and murder you. And so you need yeah, friends. because they're, they're special infected that if they, you know, like specific kind of zombies that are very rare and when they, and they have some mechanism by which if they go against one person, they can basically, in essence, put you in a form of a chokehold, whether it's because they're strangling you with their long tongue, very creepy, or punching because they're the just ground tackling repeatedly. you, yep, or because mm-hmm. they're punching you to the ground. And you can't escape. It's not possible by yourself. So you need a buddy to help you out. Yeah. So this one just builds on that idea. Uh, and so we we took it for a spin last night. Basically did the, the initial, I guess, hour and a half or two of the of the thing. And the whole first series of it, of course, is, is that usual kind of tutorial onboarding experience where they're showing you, you know, like how to shoot stuff, right? It's how to do the actual active mechanics. Uh, and that was all more or less left for dead. Um, but I plus mean, some yeah, additional was, yeah. it just was, but plus some additional like RPG elements that we were like, Oh, like weapons have stats on them, which is an interesting choice because of course, like in the zombie apocalypse scenario, like you're typically running for your life. And so having to be like, mm, let me investigate this. Is uh, this an upgrade? Is this an upgrade? Um, is, this- <laughs> is a bit jarring. I'm not going to lie. It's a bit, it's a bit, Jarring, but they don't have so many stats that like it's that it takes a long time to assess. You just sort of like you know how many things are green, grab that, go. So there's a few of those, uh, but then there's what we ended up finding was like we we completed the first little series of, of of missions, and then suddenly like our group is in a camp, and this is not Left for Dead anymore. This is this is basically where Back for Blood actually shows up to me, which is there's this whole meta game structure on top of that Left 4 Dead experience that was there. And you get a glimpse of it during your first run because the thing that's the, kind of the weird thing that that is added at first is that between, I don't know, rounds, whatever, between safe houses, when you have that like break point where you can now, so there's two things. One is now you open up this chest instead of just having a pile of ammo like you do in Left 4 Dead. Uh, you now see like you can buy gun upgrades or you can buy, you can like, you, you basically buy stuff with the money that you find or earn or whatever during the the mm-hmm. round, and you can also like buy stuff for your whole team, and so there's a little bit more of a dynamic there. But then before you, as you start the next one, they pull up a bunch of cards that just literal, have literal cards, just little like cards. Of cards. Some kind of a they have come, some kind of an effect on you or the team or something, right? Where it's like, oh, you just like are you can just have twenty percent more stamina or whatever, right? Or or you have a because like, oh. you, you have a melee to like knock zombies off, you know? It'll be like, oh, you just have a knife now, so you can. You're stabbing instead of just. Are know, these push. just totally random? Like you get different ones yeah. each time. So this is the thing. So you actually there's a, there's build a deck. It's this a is deck what the whole meta game is for. Is you sort of as yeah. you win missions, you unlock supply uh, crates. Then you essentially use those as your kind of meta level currency to unlock additional cards, and then you build a deck that you actually have like like for your character. You have a deck for your character that you essentially take with you into the rounds, and then the cards from your deck show up as choices. Uh, between mm-hmm. each one of these rounds, but in the order that you had put them in. And then you get to see, oh. because the game itself is actually, the game itself, the director, as they call it, which is like the AI that throws zombies at you, basically tries to kill everyone. Uh, the director also is choosing from its own deck of cards about basically mutations mm-hmm. that are happening. And you actually yeah, get to, to ran- see them. Randomize the run. Yep. So essentially what it does is that I it, see. It, it actually creates uh, a more roguelike sort of, nature to the thing where actually what you need to do is sort of choose you also need to start choosing cards from your deck that you put together uh like on a to meta level to, to affect the, yeah. yeah to offset the effect of whatever the director's been doing to try to kill everyone um and then, and and then so, it's building so like every time so you pick a card and then on the next in between the next set you pick another card you add right? more and so you so you basically are building now this like deck as you go through the game 
well, it's like, I guess you build a deck outside the game by buying mm-hmm. cards through the system and, and choosing which ones you want and whatever. And, and then you sort of in-game, select a hand, I guess. Yeah, you, you select it. a hand or something <laughs> and then you can like pick one at a time as you go. And then you sort of build out this like, yeah, you're just building out this like collection of, of mutators on top of your normal gameplay experience. Yeah. So, so it's very interesting. Hmm, yeah. I've, that we, is cool. We walked in, we basically ended the, the session in there. That's not like, what I expected at all. No, out of fucking no. nowhere, to be honest with you. Like we, because the yeah. card thing was already kind of weird because they, they just referred to them as cards. Like, there were there's no attempt to they're say, just, like... They're just owning it. Yeah, they're like... Yeah, they're oh, yeah. like... This this is just, just a game. Yeah. It's a game. Yeah. And, but mainly it was like, wow, like walking into that design complexity after just, you know, shooting stuff in the face, which is not exactly complicated from a design perspective. Um, but walking into that, like, meta-level design complexity where they had, like, there was three short videos that were, like, talking about how these systems work and stuff. Uh, and they felt like, because they... It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't videos that felt like they were trying to be an in-universe explanation for something. It was just literally like you're playing a game right now, and then, and then the, the, the mm-hmm. announcer, you know, uh, Starship Troopers. You know yeah, the like that guy, the announcer guy who's like. Tell- <laughs> it sounded like that yeah. basically, and it has like this really weird, like this is a game. Also, this is propaganda kind of vibe, which I, and I'm pretty sure that part is not intentional. It just like feels like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So. It was, and it, was, and it wasn't like a really, bad thing. Yeah, yeah but it, it like it felt like it felt like an ad, you know? Yeah. Where like they come up and they explain to you how you do this stuff, but like there's no I don't think there's any IPs or anything, as far as I can no, tell. I don't think so. So like it isn't an ad, it's actually a tutorial, but it's but because of the way that they presented it, it has a very weird, mm-hmm. not bad, but very weird vibe. Yeah, but it was it was super interesting because like the, the gameplay itself was very fun because I mean it's built on the same bedrock of the Left 4 Dead experience. Oh, yeah, it could just be. I mean, it just it just is it just is Left 4 Dead, yeah. but they do have some fun. There's a lot more variation in like the zombie, the, the special infected, the, the special zombie experience and the weapons because the weapons are like and the far more varied. Yeah. Do yeah. you do you get to play as the special zombies? I don't is think that- so. I don't think that's... I think you... So it doesn't, I think so it doesn't a, have that. I think there is a PvP mode. We didn't try. There's two other modes that we didn't try, mm. uh, but I'm not, okay. I'm not sure yet. Also, so, can yeah, you... Because that, that was one of the core things in the original Left 4 Dead is, yeah. is four of the players uh, get yeah. to keep coming back to life as different kinds of special infected zombies, yeah. and then the that other four fun. players are the four survivors. Yeah, I mean, there's a so. decent chance they did that because like because these special infected are... So, so any, any of you... any. Any uh, listeners who play the original Left 4 Dead and the next Left 4 Dead, like there's Left 4 Dead, stellar, amazing game, um, and like, and, but it was like, it felt like a, I don't know, it's kind of a sterile zombie apocalypse. Like it was kind of gross, definitely, right? Mm-hmm. But the Left 4 Dead too, they were like, okay, this has to be like gross though, you know? So then they introduced these just fucking horrible spitter was the most obvious yeah, creature. Like the spitter, which is this just hideous thing that shoots acid, you know, and then the boomer, which is this enormous disgusting thing that explodes and shoots bile everywhere, you know? And, uh, and then back for blood. And, and it vomits. It, and the it boomer vomits. can, the boomer, your special ability is to vomit bile on, pe- yeah. on people. And then if you get vomit on, <laughs> onto a survivor, then it like sends the surrounding AI zombies into a yeah. frenzy and they just on the player. That person. Yes. It's awesome. <laughs> and like, and so back for blood, like they, they literally just like copied basically all of this, but they put enough yeah. variation on it. So there's a, there's a, there's like a, a spitter equivalent, or I guess a, they kind of like merged a bunch of them together and made them all a little more interesting, but it's the same ideas. But there's like the, the character there that vomits on you, which also attracts the horde and all that stuff. It can do it from really far away. Like it's like projectile vomiting. Projectile vomiting from really far away. And they had this creepy thing that lives in a wall that if you walk, hates. like you walk by it and it, and it, and then there's like a there's a zombie like a half zombie like living in a hole in the wall in this like maw it, and like it disgusting. like launches at you and it launches at you and tackles you and then you can't get out get away until somebody comes and helps you. Uh, so it's they made it they did, they kind of jacked all that stuff up in the same way that Left 4 Dead went to Left 4 Dead too. So but it's still like when Sam and I were playing that first round we we're just like okay I mean this is this is just Left 4 Dead you know yeah. but and like but the very the variations didn't make it a different game it was just just Left 4 Dead plus some. You know, RPG slightly stuff. different stuff, uh, but but yeah, it does it does feel like once we hit that card collecting point, in the end, it still is just Left 4 Dead. But now there's the kind of mutator level that I think mm-hmm. could be interesting. The thing I don't know, which I'd be curious about with the other game modes and stuff, because it's still a four player co op. But if there are game modes that are more than four players, because they have a, a hilarious everything is happening at once kind of cinematic as you like go into the town to introduce to you. Cause there's a huge character set. There's like 12 or something that you can like choose from to play. Uh, and 
to introduce them to you, they basically just have this like long scene where like it's people are getting just destroyed and like, but, and then each badass character gets introduced, you know, as part of that little cinematic in their own way. Um, and, uh, and then it kind of, as that closes out, there's just like these 12 people all looking dope. Cause they all of course have their like archetypal, uh, mm-hmm. character cool style. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and so they're all like there and they're all, and they, they all have like preferred weapons or whatever. So they're all out here like saying stuff and like cackling or doing whatever. And then just like, shooting this infinite horde of zombies, you know? And I was like, oh my God, it was like playing that with like a dozen people. Oh, you know? bonkers. Yeah. It would be so, <laughs> it would be so fun. I don't, yeah. but I don't know. I, I would say it's a, it's a, a very good time. I think if you're, if you're into that sort of co-op shooter thing, uh, especially if you haven't played Left 4 Dead before, definitely try it. Um, I think as one of the things that, that I noticed about it was just like that, it's a, the onboarding experience is actually extremely slick. Uh, they do everything like the accessibility settings. You basically set the whole joke about PC gamers is PC gamers boot up a game and then go into settings. They basically do that for oh. you, like on a step by step thing. They're like, adjust this, yeah. adjust this. So, like, yeah, this is of, the first time I've seen a game actually put you into the settings as part of the the, the part of the where you go experience. first, right? They're like, do, yeah. Do, do, do. yeah, and so uh, it's kind of impressive. And then uh, the only thing was just like hitting that complexity point. One was like, you're very exciting after having played the mechanical part of the game, right? For like an hour and being like, oh, oh, this is really cool. But then also, it has, depth. It has a lot of depth. But also, to me, like as a designer, I was just surprised because, like you said, Seth, like that's out of fucking nowhere, like deck yeah, building yeah. and this whole, th- I was like, what? I would not have thought to like smoosh these well, together. And it's a ways in there because when you're playing, because like literally everybody playing this game or the vast majority are going to be playing it with the context of Left 4 Dead. Yeah. Right. And so in Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, the way that you play it is you just start a, I don't know, campaign. I don't know what the right word is, but like a little a little mini campaign thing. And like if you get decent at the game, they last like 45 minutes to an hour, right? And it goes through yep. a collection of, of uh, little smaller scenes basically where that ends in a safe house. And then everybody kind of pauses, recollects, the game saves, and then you move on to the next one, right? There's like four. You basically play or- through like four levels that are essentially a sprint from safe house to safe yep. house. Mm-hmm. And then the end is some the, huge fight yeah. where you're waiting for uh, something to come rescue you and your team. And you're just like trying to hold off the horde as long as possible, right? And so that's that's the formula. It's that way every time. So this one, that's that's like what I was expecting, right? Was Because yeah. everything else was literally the same. And so I was just like, okay, yeah, that's what's going to happen here. But then that first opening part, like the onboarding thing, which doesn't feel like a tutorial because it's not presented as a tutorial. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is just this is just left for dead, right? But it's it's, lo- it's significantly longer and it keeps on going. And then because they had these things where you're like buying upgrades and stuff, I was like, I was trying to figure out what was gonna what that meant. Like, is this yeah. a, like what is this? I'm making all these. Is choices. this for the run? Yeah, is this for the run? Or is this like do I does this persist outside? And then what is a run? Because kind of kept going and then we're like looking at the map each time and it's like here are the acts and it's, it's like long right and just that yeah. like the first dot out of i don't know 30 or something took us like fucking half an hour yeah you know? like it took a long time to get through and then each one looked was progressively longer and then we got to the end of I that think- first block and then it like takes us into this town and i was like what i, was, I still don't know <laughs> yeah, it's like what the fuck just happened yeah yeah i still don't know what the meta level like where exactly it lives I, like i don't know if all the upgrade stuff that you do during a run just keeps going you know like I'm not, I, this is interesting because it's in in some ways you would have been better off having not played Left 4 Dead because you you're, you're ex, you have an extra layer of confusion because you had a bunch of expectations about how the game was going to work and then you've got to backpedal from. Well, those, I think the moment to moment experience you know? though you get you get a lot because it is just is Left 4 Dead. So the yeah, moment okay. of like knowing they're special infected, when you see a thing where it's like you hover over this little alert sign, it's like this will alert the horde. Like you know exactly what that means. The idea of like loud things being used as diversionary thing, like there's enough so of that. A lot of the core fundamentals, yeah, are there. yeah. But the, yeah. but it is true though that that trying to like going in, especially when all of that stuff is reinforcing that that existing mental model of what the game is going to be, right. Then that I does make it more confusing when the. I think actually, if you look at those two games, it's actually an interesting commentary on where the industry's gone in the last 10 years, to be honest with you. Because it's like, so Left 4 Dead was extremely successful mm-hmm. uh, as as a, actually, from a design standpoint, a relatively simple, there's no metagaming aspect. There's no upgrades. There's no nothing. It's like, there's like five guns. That's it. You're just sort and of. There were what, like four maps? Yep, four maps, five guns. So it's like, that's yeah. it. It's um, like f- like four different kinds of special infected. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then and then you just you just replayed the same maps for yeah. just forever. And so this one to me is very <laughs> clearly along the model of like you know everyone 
we know what what the industry is all about now, which is you know the subscription model, the free to play model, keep you in there forever. Which, yeah, it's all about it's all about retention. It's about and depth, about depth, actually. Yeah, and so yeah. it's like it's not enough to have a shooter that is just like or like a shooter with these sort of co op mechanics that is just unique and like fucking awesome. Like that's I mean that's good, but as far as you know, um, when you're operating at that sort of AAA scale and you're trying to do something that essentially like really is successful, then that's where you see this sudden emergence. It's almost like uh, it reminds me of like the whole idea of gamification, if that makes sense, where it's like gamification is essentially adding these layers of depth into a system, uh, sometimes where they shouldn't be. That's usually the, the joke about it, right? Like game, gamifying <laughs> all sorts of things. But you can gamify yeah. games, if that makes sense. Like well, you I think take it's a Left 4 Dead, you gamify it, and then it's back for blood, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah, well, more, I think it's less about depth than it is about loopiness. You know, yes, where there's yes. it's, it's a loops. diversity of loops that are operating at different scales so that there's always something you don't have yet that you can be working towards. And it, and then what those things are vary along a bunch of dimensions, right? Because so because like I think Back for Blood is a really good example because you go to that character screen where you can see, oh, here's the 12 characters I can play as, right? Each one has like a head slot and a and a, like an outfit slot. Like, like clearly you can go unlock different appearances for all these characters. Mm-hmm. There's 12 of them. Right, but you're gonna have one of your characters who's your favorite. So you're like, now you're like, ooh, how do I get like, how do I get the other stuff so I can like have this character look fucking dope, right? Then all then there's the gun screen. Here's all the different guns. Each one of those also has like two other ways it can look, which I think may change its behavior. Not totally sure. Um, and then you have this uh, this like crate system where you can buy cards, but that you go down different sort of research tracks. It's like talent trees, basically. Yeah, it's like talent trees, right? And so now you can be like, ooh, I want to spec into like heal, like the medic side or whatever, yeah. right? But there's stuff in the other ones too that you want, mm-hmm. right? And so, and then of course now that you have the actual gameplay experience and the deck building, it's like there are all these layers that have different loops that are working at different speeds yep. and interact with each other in different ways. And so there's just always there's always something else besides the moment to moment gameplay. There's yes. always something else that you haven't done yet that you can be working towards. Yeah, I mean, so, it, it, you guys. Said. I was going to say that this is something that, because you guys know, you remember like Overwatch and Team Fortress and these yeah, kinds yeah. of, yep. these kinds of like class-based uh, shooters, right? Um, for whatever reason, I like when Overwatch came out, I had kind of like lost interest in the idea of playing first-person shooters because personally I've come to that same place where uh, that you guys are talking about in my, and what I want to get out of a game, which is actually, I want multiple layers of engagement where like, I don't want it to just be whoever has the best aim and fastest reflexes wins the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or, or even something as something like you pick your, your class, your character at the start of the match. Right. And then like some characters are stronger against others and whatever. And then just as you come across somebody else, there's like a paper, rock, scissors thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then just whatever you picked is like, maybe it's good in that case. Maybe it's not, but you know, you already picked it. So too bad. Right. Um, but what I, what I am starting to expect more and more is that there's both a skill component, mm-hmm. a, a tactics component, meaning like you have to make meaningful moment to moment decisions during the gameplay, but you also have to execute them, which is the skill part. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a, a strategy layer, which is making big meta picture. level decisions, big picture about when you're talking about this idea of like, you can see what the director, what cards the director mm-hmm. has, and you build your deck in a way to try to, you know, counter stuff. Um, so it sounds like it's hitting a lot of those. It really, I think as far as like taking a, taking a, sh- like a shooter where actually it's not really, it's not really class-based. The characters are like light, very light yeah. adjustments. So it's not class-based. Yeah, by, by default, there's no class part at all, but then like, but those, tree, those trees you can spec into, which are just getting cards, right? So you basically... You can kind of classify, like I yeah, guess, which means to make into a class. <laughs> you can kind of make yourself into a class, but it's where the depth of what that class means, and like, because also some there's some you know downsides to some of the upsides and stuff too, right? So, um, so you can get your like, I think one of the ones I got is like fifty percent more uh, uh, reload speed or something like that, but it came with like a twenty percent loss to stamp. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? Right. And so you can basically become more and more of a of a class-based character through a run. Mm-hmm. But also which ones you have access to to do that depend on how you've been investing those points, right? And so yeah. then when you go in with other players, now there's that there's now there's a player team level strategy where it's like, okay, well, if you're the cards you have access to are mostly 
medic-related cards, then, like, we have to take that into account when we're trying to figure out what to do against the director mm-hmm. and, like, what each other person's going to choose for their cards and, you know. Yes, like, I mean, really I, think it's, I, mm. I think it's very interesting. And I was I was honestly shocked by it as far as when Adam and I just said they showed up in a town. We were both like, what? Um, There's a town? But I'm actually, yeah. it's one of those things where like, I think we played enough because you just are basically playing mechanically up until then. And it was super cool. And so I think I'm actually excited to, to uh, give it another Give it another session. Yeah. Well, and um, there's something I like about it too. Yeah. I like about it too, which is that uh, for for me in my old gamer age um, of, you know, 35. Uh, yeah, you're I basically get, dead at this point. <laughs> yeah, basically, I, as far as I understand from looking at how people market games, I'm now on the, you know, I'm the, on the tail end of that group of people. Um, but it really is the case that the, that the onboarding experience for me at this point has to be fucking good. And if I get introduced to a lot of complexity really quickly, then I just go do something else. Just turn the game off and I go do something else, right? And and so I like, so there's two things that I like about a game with this design. So the first one is that when you get onboarded, you're just you're just fighting zombies, right? Like you got a gun, you just click, you just click, you point to stuff and you click it. That's the, that's the whole thing, right? And if that was all you figured out, you'd be, you're like, you could play the game, you'd be fine. Um, and then there's some stuff that if you play these kinds of games, you would expect like, oh, there's like a melee mechanism or whatever. And they, and they do tell you that. But if you missed it, like, you still be able to play the game. Still be fine. Like, mm-hmm. I almost, I did, like, it's always an awkward to reach key, you know? So I actually basically didn't use it anyway. Because uh, <laughs> I need to remap my keys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So they introduced this stuff and like the actual moment to moment gameplay just isn't, it's hard, but not complicated. And it's easy to understand. Yes. yes. Um, and it's all focused on basically skill and then and then luck, just like how many zombies did you get attacked by? Where was your buddy when that happened, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's fun. It's a good storytelling machine. And like you can just jump in without thinking too hard and start playing and start learning as you go. And uh, and then they do they do introduce these more complicated things. Like you get to that first safe room and you open up the chest and it's like, oh, here's like a big upgrade UI. And I'm like, oh, I'm in you. Yeah. How do I how do I choose stuff? Like what do I I like I don't know what metric to use to make decisions at this point. But it also doesn't really matter because I can just like not do anything. Mm-hmm. That's an option. Yeah. Or I can just like choose some stuff at random and it won't, it's just not really going to matter, you know? Yeah. And, and so that stuff gets introduced, but you don't even have to engage with it really. And then even with this thing, once we clear that first now whole part of the game and get into this town where we see, oh shit, there's like all this deck building stuff and all that. And it's just getting really complicated. There's like all these, now there's all these new layers, which if you're a player like me, then you would see that and be like, oh, this is, this seems like it would be just uh, a lot uh, exhausting, you know, to try to like make all, just be constantly trying to make decisions. And you're not really sure what the outcome is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't have, like they all have a, a, a meaningful impact. So they're, so you get to make meaningful decisions. You can do high level strategy. And if you do, it will matter, but also but you, don't you don't have to at the beginning. So yeah. that's fine. Well, even as you yeah. go through it, like my bet is that even if you don't engage with that stuff, that very, very uh, deep, you know, very deeply, it's just like pretty, you're just like, Oh, whatever. I'll just, just pick cards. Just sound pick fun, a right? thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Then my bet is It'll that fine. you'll still be fine. You'd still have a good time and like things will be cool, a little harder for you, right? But it's not yeah. like you don't get to play if you, if that's how you want to engage. And so right. that choose your level of engagement gameplay style with a with an easy onboarding yeah, where that's killer. Yeah, like that's that's the way that you do these kinds of games to yeah. keep people from getting kicked out. Well, and there's there's one final uh perk to having games with that many layers, right? Is that if a player fails at the game, then they can very easily blame some prior strategic choice that they had made and they don't get kicked out of the game because they feel like they suck, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're like, oh, you know, maybe if I just picked like a couple of different cards Ooh, here. Yeah, I should take more stamina mm-hmm. this time. Duh. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it wasn't my, I mean, I did, I did everything perfectly, well, but see, obviously. It's but not just that, because that's true. <laughs> it was the cards I picked. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's not just about like, who do you blame for failure? Because it is true, that's a like, you know, core game design tenet, right? Which is, it should, if the player fails, it should feel like their fault, not that the game was being unfair, right? Um, so that's true. Like, and this, this does give you that, but it also gives you that if something is hard, you can't get, you just can't beat it. Right. It gives yeah. you a way to cover the skill gap between yeah. where you are yep. and yep. what you're trying to yep. achieve without it feeling like you just have to do it a million times until you get it. Cause now you're like, Ooh, if I just get this upgrade, like, so I'm just, I'll just, I'll just be a little better at the game without having to get better at the game. Right. It's not the whole, it's not the get good culture yeah. from dark souls. Right. It's kind of the yeah. opposite approach. Yeah. 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 Which that, and that's like you said with like Left 4 Dead, that's what it 
that's what a lot of games really heavily leaned on back in the days. If you think about like Super Meat Boy becoming super popular um, mm-hmm. in 2010, 9, 10, 10, something like that, um, where it's like, it's literally, there's no meta game at all. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's just it's hard, hard and you just yep. got to do it a lot. Um, and th- those kinds of things are becoming less uh, prevalent, I, I think, mm-hmm. without, without extra like metagaming layers on top. So very cool. So it sounds like on the nail to whiff scale, I think you, I think I they think nailed it. it. They uh, nailed yeah, it. at least for the two hours of the experience, it feels like they nailed it. We haven't actually like really engaged with this side of it though. So yeah. I can't say that they pulled it off necessarily because I have no idea, but like it, we'll have to report back. Yeah, it's well. They nailed the first two hours though. Yeah, yep. and it is on Game Pass, so it's a, if you have Game Pass already, it's a very low risk. To then you you've try already it. you've already got it. Yep, yep. you've already got it. All right, well, let's get into some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Mimabip Gorky, who says, What's your opinion? Now, this is a bit loaded. So, okay, we'll let this one breathe for a second. Right, What's your right. opinion on people who teach how to develop games without having released a game that people have bought? I've noticed that almost every Unity course on Udemy is taught by an instructor where I can't find a single game they have made. <laughs> mm. uh, I, okay, I have a few thoughts. Because this actually gets into that sort of uh, shitty joke that people make of like people people who can do and people who can't teach or something like that, right? There's like, we've, we've all heard this mm, joke, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't believe that. That's a shitty thing to believe and it's, uh, and it's not true. Right. So I think there's a few parts of this. So one is theory versus practice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it, our, our educational focus is more, is about theoretical underpinnings of things, right? So it's not the practical side, it's the, it's the whys and the hows and the approaches and all this kinds of stuff, right? And the teaching model that we mostly go through in like, at least the US system, is kind of based on that. And so there, uh, because it's more about the theoretical side, then it doesn't really. It depends on what the theory is that you're being taught, right? Because there there are some principles of game design that are just like you know good principles. They just are. They just are. Mm-hmm. There's good rules of thumb. There's there are ways to critique design and to break down a thing. Uh, and none of these depend on you having released a game of any sort, right? Yeah. Because then there's because there's now there's the other part. Of this. Even even if you get into the practical part of like releasing of of building a game, building a game and releasing a commercial product are unrelated domains of knowledge, right? They're just not, they're unrelated. So releasing a game requires like this marketing stuff, business stuff, uh, relationships with with people and managing those, uh, marketing, social media management, the list goes on and on and on and on, right? So that stuff, like, because it's decoupled, yes. the fact that somebody hasn't released a game doesn't, fine. doesn't mean yeah. anything with respect to their ability to teach concepts related to either theory or practice of game design or, or game Dev. development. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and only that, I mean, I think a good sort of contrast would be how like, so I, I was a business student in college. I did economics and, and finance. And as part of that, I had to take a business core, which is got to learn about all different business stuff. You got to take marketing and accounting and, you know, all this stuff. Um, and there was this really sharp contrast between two of my courses. One was my marketing course. The other was my operations management course. So my marketing course was taught by someone who was not, had never worked in marketing, um, but who, who was, who had Studied gotten a, a, a lot of deep, you know, high, high level, uh, like master's degrees and whatever in, in various aspects of marketing. And so, so theoretical versus practical. Yeah. And so we learned a lot of stuff about the the theory of marketing and and how you would think about like breaking up your target audience into different groups and think about how to how to like message toward them and you know whatever it was. Um, but walking away from that, I still felt like I didn't quite know how to do yeah. marketing. You know, yeah, because converting theory uh, to applied is. A super non-trivial. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of like, okay, I know how to talk about marketing, but I still don't know, like, how do you even do it though? Um, but when I took operations management, uh, it was taught by this guy who actually was at that time an operations manager at John Deere. Mm. So so he came to the college in the evenings and taught this course 
for three hours, one day a week. Right. And, uh, every single thing, like basically he, he used the book, like he basically looked at like the, the title of the chapters and the operations management textbook as like a guideline for the topics to go through. But then he just pulled the the subjects from the book and just used like day to day stuff that he was working on at John Deere and talked about the problems he was facing. And it was like, it was so practical, you know? And afterwards I was like, okay, I feel like I get how a company runs, you know? Mm -hmm. And that if if someone were to ask me about these various scenarios that I would be like, yeah, I think like I've, I've at least heard about this kind of a problem before and how you might think about solving it. Right. Um, But the weird thing about game dev, which is kind of like what uh, these guys were saying is that there's like a thousand different pieces of it. And if you're, for example, watching a a Udemy course on like how to make shaders in Unity, right? Mm -hmm. Like a shader is an important, like knowing how to do that is an important part of making a game. Um, And it it genuinely doesn't matter if if the person who is teaching that course only knows how to make shaders and has no clue about any other aspect of game development, right? There's a lot of stuff in the Unity asset store that's made by people who don't make games for a living, right? Yeah, but they make because if they can teach you how to make a shader, then you've gotten that nugget. Yeah. Or that they just you make needed. shader packs or <laughs> asset packs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but but uh, game dev in general is so much of a pra- practically minded. Uh, I don't want to call it a discipline because it's like a thousand different it's disciplines. A, yeah, it's a multidisciplinary. Thing. Yeah, but it's, it's it's like movie making, right? Like you can't just learn how to make movies, right? Because there's yeah. A thousand a lot of pieces roles involved in a lot of pieces. Yeah. And like there are courses you can take on sort of like cinematic theory, you know, mm-hmm. um, just like how you can take courses on game design where they, where they talk about like how you would think about designing a game. Right. And I think in those cases, those are very high level and theoretical. And oftentimes your designs bump up against reality. Right. Uh, and you can't do those things because of technical reasons or scope or budget or, or whatever. Um, but but when it comes to actually learning the doing, as long as the person teaching you is doing it, which they are, they are, if they're if they're saying like here's how you make a shader, and they walk yeah. through making a shader, like they've made a shader, mm-hmm. so you're good to go. Yeah, because the question yeah. is what is what is it that you think is missing, right, from a given? And because I think this is actually a, a this is good as a more broad question, which is if you're trying to learn something that you want to know how to do or about, right, is who do you go to and why, right, for that? And like, what is it that they're going to be able to convey to you? Um, because like for, for my academic sort of history through science, it's basically there's, like, there's an interesting shift through that where like all of the beginnings, so actually as a, as a kid, basically up until college, you're just given things as if they're facts, right? It's like, here's the list of millions of facts about how the world works. We can call that science, right? Yeah. And then you go into college, then depending on the college and and more importantly, depending on the specific instructors you get for your coursework, mm-hmm. ideally you get you start to move much more into theory, but from a, but also from a practical standpoint, where it's not theory as in just like oh here's the ideas, but it's also theory as in here's the experiments that were done that make us think that this is true, and here's how we evaluate that and whatever. So the so the theory part is practical. It's how do you evaluate? How do we know things? Right, and then from there you go into the actual so like and you know, grad school or in the postdoc and so on of the academic pipeline for science. And so when you go into be a grad student, now all of a sudden they're told, you're told, hey, you need to go learn something new about the world. So now you're, now it's the practical application of all of this stuff, right? Uh-huh. And it's, but it's still this mix of like, okay, well, I, I now know a little bit how to evaluate things and I've learned a whole bunch of like techniques I can do and like what kinds of questions I can ask. And you got to go try to put all that shit together to do something, right? It's, that, we, it's weird that it's so it's so binary, right? Like you spend so much time just being told stuff. Yeah. Just only. Yep. Right? Nobody asks you anything and nobody asks you to figure anything out. You're and just if they do, they ask you stuff. to tell them something that they believe, right? Because it's like, yeah. here, go go write a paper on this thing, right? And then at the end, they'll be like, no. And they just like say, give you zero points on it, right? Because yeah. you didn't go tell them proof. the thing. Yeah, for this thing that's been proven already. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you do that for like twenty years, mm-hmm. and then suddenly they're like, "Okay, now you ask some questions." It's a very, it's a very weird like, uh, and it's also it, what's well, weird that it's not expected of us unless we go beyond college, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because even even in college, yeah, because um, you go, you have to go beyond college to basically be doing theory and applied at the same time. And even then, you don't always. 
Right. But that's yeah, like, like where you get like to so, Some of the, t- the times in, in school where I was the most engaged and felt like I learned the most is when the professor generally didn't tell us stuff directly in terms of theory, but posed us with problems, mm-hmm. right? And and let us flail in that problem space for a while and yeah, then finally reveal and then, and then finally revealing like here's how here's the theory that you needed to actually solve this problem well. Because now suddenly you have a context and you're like, oh damn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I remember like there there's always that that question that that every high school student will ask at some point, which is, what am I ever going to use this for, right? And it's like, if as a professor or as a teacher, you're just like, okay, everybody, today we're learning about the hypotenuse, mm-hmm. right? Like you've already lost it, people, <laughs> because like, what even is that, right? But if instead it's- Well, it's, it's, well, it's solutions-focused learning, right? Like at least math is um, in- the early yeah, school it's, grades. It's here's what a hypotenuse is and how you calculate it. Yeah, Moving on, math now is let's a talk tool. about right angles. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that's like really frustrating is because actually all yeah. the stuff that we learn and need to need to know about and need to use are tools, right? It's tools for us to be able to operate in and manipulate the world around us um, and to understand it and to not be manipulated in bad ways in turn. Um, yeah. Like that's what all that is for, but we're taught, at, we're not taught it in that way though. Cause like, cause all of math, like trigonometry and algebra, all these things, those are tools. They're not truths about the world. Like math doesn't exist, right? As in like, it's not a fundamental fact of the universe. People confuse that because you can use math to describe apparent fundamental aspects of the universe, right? But the reason it can do that is because it's a tool that people invented and refined on the basis of how much it can tell us about things when you move things around. You just like, you take some symbols and a collection of rules, and then you move the symbols around based on the rules. And now you don't have to pay any taxes. And now you could convert. <laughs> and that allows you, you to math. convert, you know, one set of knowledge into a new one. That's what math is, right? But because you're then taught, like, okay, here's trigonometry, and you're taught about trigonometry, like about it, about the tool. Well, and, well, right? and that's the that's the wild thing is that like that that because trigonometry is just like here's a bunch of stuff about triangles. <laughs> yeah, and a bunch of ways that right? symbols relate to each other that we that and it's, people and it's, discovered. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's. Like I get, I get the desire to categorize things in that way, right? It's like here's a bunch, here's a bunch of things about triangles that we're gonna learn. Here's algebra. Okay, well, what's algebra? Algebra is about like finding unknowns, right? But that there's actually there's a bunch of like trigonometry is comprised of a bunch of, a bunch of different concepts that are individually useful in a variety of problem solving scenarios, right? But like knowing all of trigonometry doesn't necessarily help you in this one problem knowing like how to calculate the height of a triangle does right and so so that's where i think you're talking about the idea of like solutions focused learning which is mm-hmm. which is to say here's okay everybody tool. here's a broad category of arbitrary things that we've lumped together because they're kind of similar you're just going to learn all of them yeah uh, and we're for no reason right there's not for there's no, no particular reason <laughs> yeah you're just learning the tool that's used to solve problems and, and like and they, then they'll give you to test your knowledge is a lot of where they then give you a problem where that thing can be used as a tool to solve it, right? But then it it's always a toy that you don't care about, you know. Um, where does Jerry bought thirty nine apples. Where does this relate back mm-hmm. to the, to the question though, as far as you know? Or really back to that part. It's, it's a question it. of it's not about like whether that instructor has like shipped a game or whatever, right? The question is, what is it you're trying to learn from that instructor? What are they actually teaching you, and how does it relate to? what you're trying to accomplish, right? Because it's also the case that in a class, in a classroom setting, everybody who's in there is not in there for the same reason. They all have different goals. They, they need this knowledge for a different reason. They need this practical versus theoretical aspects of the same kind of thing for different reasons. Um, unfortunately, because we're all taught just to go through school and just like learn all the facts that tell, people tell us to learn, most of us don't know why we are even in there, right? And so what we're in, so the, so the way that we're all kind of trained is that you go into a classroom setting and whatever we're being told is just stuff we have to know. And the person who's telling us this is in charge of deciding what we need to know and why, right? But everyone's in there for a different reason. And so the instructor can choose anything really, which is really just like what they know and then therefore what they think you should know based on why they know it and what they're doing with that information. So so that's actually the part that matters. It isn't the, the specific details, or sorry, I guess, the specifics don't matter in the general case, right? So, like the, the fact that that a person specifically, or an instructor, has not shipped a game and is teaching game development, right? Like that in general isn't good or bad. Anything. It doesn't mean anything. Because the question yeah. is, what are you trying to get from that person? Right. 
And are and, they giving it to you? <laughs> and are they giving it to you? And does the fact... Right, because if, if you're trying to learn, like, game marketing... If you're trying right. to learn how to ship a game... Probably, if you're trying to learn how to ship a game... Yeah, like, some games. Yeah. Right. Because then you know, like, okay, you could probably learn theory from that person, but that theory is not going to be backed by practice. And the people who know things the best are the people who do it in practice a lot and think about it really hard while they're doing it, right? And that's not most people who have practical experience. Most people who have practical experience do it the same way they did school, which is you learn the thing the way somebody else taught you to do it. You do it in that way and you treat that as facts. And then that's the whole process, right? So it's not the case that practical is better than theoretical, right? It depends on what you're trying to do. And the best one is the mix of those two things, which you don't just get by having, by virtue of having a, a teacher who has shipped a game. That doesn't mean that they have thought meaningfully about those aspects of it. Yeah. Well, there's, as a, as a final interesting question about this idea of like theory versus practice, okay? Because uh, I think that's kind of what this what this question kind of boils down to is like yeah. they're 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 both valuable, uh, and it, but if you, if you lean too hard in either direction, you're going to get very different results, right? Yeah, and you got and non-ideal results if you lean too hard in either direction. Yeah, so because the fact is like if in 2013. I taught someone how to make games, like from a programming perspective. I would have taught them how to be a really bad programmer. Yeah. Uh, but I could teach them how to ship games real fast. Mm-hmm. Games that are hard to maintain and possibly riddled with bugs. Yep. But they would be shipping games. Yeah. Right? And so, and there's a category of people that are like <laughs> people who want to be able to rapidly make and deploy small games. Like that would be the knowledge that they would need. Right. And I didn't. And I didn't have the fundamental theoretical knowledge about how to write really good clean code. Um, and so, so there was this, um, this, I think it was on Radiolab this past week. They were talking about uh, Western music coming to China in the 80s. And it came there in the form of uh, recycled uh, cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. Because, because at that time in the 80s, in like the 70s and 80s, the American uh, music industry, and as well as in the, the UK, uh, it was just like just popping off. So- for many entertainment companies, their their music labels were making far more money than like their movies and stuff like that. Uh, and so they would mass produce millions of extra copies of any artist that they artist's album that they signed, uh, just in case it became a cultural hit and that they would be able to fulfill the the demand. Uh, but of course, most most don't hit that level of success, and so there ended up being just like millions and millions. Uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of extra produced cassettes of just all these different artists, just kind of like laying around all over the world. So at that time, China was where most of the world sent their recycling to be processed. And I think it's, I think it still is. I think it's um, moved actually to other places now, but yeah. it's, it's but moving, it was for yeah, a long but, time. And so that's where the tapes went uh, and they all got salvaged and then repurposed. And there were, there were uh, government bans on Western music Right. And so, so Western music basically came in through the back door in the form of these Mm -hmm. like salvaged tapes. And what that meant was that there was no official channels for people to learn about music theory or about the genres or whatever of Western music. They just, they just heard stuff in without context. And they just kind of came to their own conclusions about what was good, what they Mm -hmm. liked, what they didn't like, whatever. And, and a lot of bands started up in like the 90s then, early 90s uh, in China that were these like really unexpected fusions of of what in like in, in Western music critical culture, you know, people would like segment things out into very specific genres and talk about like, this is what this kind of music is. This is what here's, this kind of music is. Here's the you know? rules. Yeah. Here's the rules for punk. Here's the rules for grunge. Here's the rules for death metal, you know? Yeah. And so then like in China, you would have these bands that are like, they're, they're playing hybrids of like they would do like some death metal but they would like be dressed in like punk stuff and then they would just like bust into like a classic rock style guitar solo in the middle of it out of nowhere you know um because they just didn't give a shit they were just like i don't know it's good it's good i like it (laughs) uh and and uh there was this this music critic who was who was actually in china at the time who was there to teach music theory and stuff and he said in retrospect, he was ashamed because mm-hmm. he kept telling everybody that they were learning about music wrong. Oh, yeah. Then that's a, that's a fucked he was up like, stance to take. So. Yeah. Well, because yeah. he was like, 
there's a there's an order in because because in order to understand as he said in order to understand the music you need to understand the layers of influences that is built on so first you have to learn mm. about this this artist and then then you can learn about this next artist who was influenced by the prior one and that's how you get to knowledge about music right mm. and then of course like these people showed up who suddenly taught him a bunch of stuff about music that he had never even conceived of. Because his view is so fucking narrow. Well, and also, I think it's actually, yeah. this is an important point too, because that view is really, really wrong. Um, even, yeah. But 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 there's a there's a, a more fundamental reason, which is that the, the stories that we put together as academics, as people, as historians and so on, right, are not actually how things happened. They can't yeah. be. Because as you know from experiencing your own life, how many fucking moments have happened in your life, right? A lot. How did each one of those influence Several. the you know <laughs> yeah. each each next one in the future, right? Who the fuck knows? There's no way to know. If like we're all living through the pandemic right now, like you know, we're living through history, as people say, right? We've been living through history every year though, and in fact every day, because stuff is happening. Stuff has been happening every mm-hmm. fucking day, every moment, right? And we try to tell these like clean stories, like, okay, well, this person got elected and then this happened, and then this happened, and then and then because these people said this, then this happened, or whatever, right? And, and we talk about this with respect to every major movement that ever happened, right? And we talk about it as if, like, we had this as if thing. It was, and then as this if thing, it was right? neat and clean and sequential yeah. and ordered. And it was and, not. It is not yeah. the case that it's like, oh, this person developed a new concept in, in music. And, this, and then three years later, somebody else listened to that in a vacuum and it was like, amazing. I have a new idea I came up with out of nothing. <laughs> I'm going to add to it. and do yeah. like, it's That's all not just how anything together. works. Yeah, yeah, it's all mixed together. And pretending yeah. like... Pretending like it is this really cleaned thing is one of the ways you get the most elitist bullshit like concepts of like you have to do it in this way. This is the way it's done. It's by building, right? And that it's not building, it's mixing. It's it's mixing and it's in an unclean, random way. And you don't know the the, the sources of the vast majority of things because influences are not in a vacuum and they yeah. compile over time. And there's infinitely many of them, and you cannot separate cleanly all these things out and pretending like you can is how you just make things up and start to create little boxes that aren't real. And you start trying to force things into those fucking boxes, right? You narrow your thinking. You you end up not being able to make lateral jumps into other- Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have 10 very concrete genres that were within which everything sounds the same, right? Because- Here's what grunge is and it can't be anything else and you can't mix and match. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So it's a kind of then to- to loop it back to this, you know, the, the game dev thing, it's, it's like Adam said, look at what the person is teaching and just think about, is this, is this useful to me? Maybe it is a high theory. Um, and that might be useful, you know, that could be useful in its own way. Um, but also just because they've shipped a game doesn't really mean anything, anything specific either. Nope. Uh, you just got to keep an open mind and try to take in the knowledge. And think about it, what right? you're learning. As long as you do that, yeah. then you're good to go. You're miles ahead. Yeah. And that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, so we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net. We have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.